are listening to the podcast of the White Church at the Elk River YMCA in Minnesota. Our mission is to seek Jesus, connect together, and share His love. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all. How will He not also, along with Him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, For your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Beloved could be the summary of all that we gather to celebrate today. On Easter, today we celebrate that God loved us so much that he sent his son to die for us on the cross so that we could be forgiven and set free and then to raise him up to new life so that we would live forever with him. It's the best news on the face of the earth that we gather to celebrate today, that you are beloved by God. That's the message of Easter, it's the message of the gospel we're translating, and it's the message of Romans. We've been studying this book of the Bible, the first half of it, for the past two months, and it all culminates today in chapter 8. Chapter 8 itself is so significant that we've spent three worship services now, all of Holy Week, in this chapter of the Bible. Palm Sunday, Good Friday, and now the final verses on Easter Sunday. And I've nearly run out of superlatives to talk about the importance of Romans 8 in the Bible. But I leave you with this last one. There's one scholar who says that the beauty of this text, specifically verses 31 to 39, may be unrivaled in all of Pauline literature. Indeed, there's not many passages that I've turned to more often when sitting bedside with someone in the hospital or sitting alongside a family who's grieving loss or preaching words of hope at a funeral than these verses. And the basis for these words is the non-funeral of our crucified Savior, Jesus Christ. The basis for these words is the resurrection of our Lord, and it's what causes Paul to launch into this glorious conclusion in what we study today. So verse 31, if you'd follow along as we look at the text, he begins by saying, What then shall we say in response to these things? And by these things, our eye can glance up earlier, not just to Romans chapter 8, but all the way back to chapter 5. If you're looking for some Easter afternoon Bible reading, Romans 5 to 8 is this whole section, and we're reading the capstone today. And it's been all about the blessings that God has given to you in Christ. When Paul says these things, 
He's looking back over the abundance of what God has accomplished for us. Kids, I suppose some of you might have a chance today to hunt for some Easter eggs outside. I hope that you can enjoy that, and I hope that you'll gather up as many eggs and treats as you can find, and then you get to take it back inside, or maybe today the weather's so nice to just be out on the grass, and you get to dump it out and take stock of your whole treasure. Paul is saying, we have a basket full of treasure from God, so big that you can't even count it. That's how numerous and weighty are the blessings of the gospel. And chief among them is the assurance of our salvation. Romans 8, 31 to 39, what we just read with Taylor, is a celebration of our security in Christ. And it's why Paul can answer his question with a question by saying, if God is for us, who can be against us? Now, it might seem odd to answer a question with a question, but that second one is hardly a question. It is not some hypothetical, but Paul is rhetorically stating that this is a sure and certain thing. God is for us. A friend of mine from church recently asked the question online, in a sentence or two, what is the gospel? And I think that if the Apostle Paul had social media, this is what he would have said. God is for us. That's the gospel. If God is for us, who can be against us? And that's a biblical truth that goes all the way back to the pages of the Old Testament. Perhaps a familiar passage. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. And Why? For you are with me. God is for me. There's plenty that's against me in the valley of the shadow of death. There is, and Paul will get to that in a few verses. But the greatest truth that you can have over your life is to know that God is for you. And how do we know this? Well, look at the next verse, verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things. Now when we tend to think of love, we usually think of it as an emotion. Love is a feeling. And yet when we learn about God's love, we see that He communicates it in action. Love is displayed, and it's displayed most powerfully in Him giving up His own Son for us. And that phrase, gave Him up, really reminds us of the initiative that God took in accomplishing our salvation. God knew the price, and He pursued us anyway. The cross was not just this unfortunate development in a story that was playing out, but the Greek word says He handed Him over. It's a legal term, and we see in it that God is firmly in the driver's seat, or maybe we would say on the judge's bench. On Good Friday, I told the story of Octavius Winslow. Remember the eighth kid and his family? And something that Octavius Winslow said to this point was, who delivered up Jesus to die? Not Judas for money, not Pilate for fear, not the Jews for envy, but the Father for love. And Paul's point in this verse is that if God did the greatest thing imaginable and He gave up His Son... 
then surely he will do the lesser thing. If God did the greatest, he'll do the lesser and he will give us everything that we need for life and godliness. Do you know this morning that God has not left you high and dry? Do you know that in your life? That no matter what comes against you, he has promised to graciously give you all things. Jesus said in a similar passage, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and what follows. And all these things will be given to you as well. Well, this whole first section of the passage is really marked by forensic judicial language. And in our 21st century American culture, we wrestle with this. We don't like to think so much of ourselves as in the wrong. We don't like to think of God as a judge. We'd much rather think of God as loving and not a judge, and we can play these things out against each other. But the Bible doesn't do this. And the Bible makes no apology for how it presents God. In fact, if we want to understand the depths of God's love for us, then we have to understand the depths from which he has saved us. That's the gospel. Tim Keller puts it so well, the author of the book that we're giving away today. He says, the gospel is this. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. So God is the judge that rules rightly, and at the same time, he sets down the gavel, he takes the sentence upon himself, and he sets us free. And that's why Paul can say, who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. At the cross, he looks at you and declares you righteous. And you see that in the next verse. Paul says, who then is the one who condemns? Who condemns you? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. And so we think back to a week ago when we were waving palm branches. We remember how Romans 8 started. Therefore, there is now no condemnation. You see the judicial language. For those who are in Christ Jesus. The greatest hymn writer in the English-speaking language was probably a guy named Charles Wesley. But Charles' early years growing up and as a teenager, as a young man, they were marked by religion. Without him truly knowing Christ in a personal way, even though he went into the ministry. And so the stories told of him where he's performing a baptism and he is dunking a little one under the water three times successively in this baptism, going through the motions until a woman with some maternal instincts kicking in grabs a shotgun and starts firing at him. This was the 18th century. But over time, Charles realized he was operating out of nothing. And in answer to an empty heart that was crying out to truly know the Lord, Charles found peace and he rejoiced at finally meeting Jesus and knowing him in person. And so he wrote in a beautiful hymn at that time, No condemnation now I dread. Jesus and all in him is mine. Alive in him my living head, 
and clothed in righteousness divine. In Christ, God has already pronounced the final verdict over your life. And He has said, righteous. This one is righteous. That you, in clinging to Christ, are not condemned. And not only that, not only that once and for all justification that took place for you and I at the cross, but it says that Christ Himself is now interceding for you in heaven next to the Father. And isn't that just wild to think about? That Jesus, right now, is speaking on your behalf to God the Father? And to tie this to the text from Good Friday, that means that we have both an intercessor in heaven the Son of God, and an intercessor on earth, that is, the Holy Spirit within us. So in a sense, you've got double coverage. And if this is too big to wrap your brain around, I just want you to know I am right there with you. To even think about this stuff is mind-boggling, but to begin to think about it leads us to be able to say, wow, God must really love me. And He does. That's where Paul goes in the second half of the passage. So verses 31 to 34, we're all about how God is for us. Verses 35 to 39 are about how God loves us. So we're going to go now from judicial terms to relational terms. As Paul asks in verse 35, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And here he is again. He's going to answer another question with a question. Look at this list of seven. You can count them as we go. Shall trouble, or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? And if we were to look back over Paul's biography, we would see he experienced every one of these things, including the last one, the sword by which at the end of his life he'll be executed. And if you had expected to measure God's favor by the comfort level of his life, you may have well concluded about Paul. No, Paul looks like he's cursed. Have you ever had things go wrong in your life so that you were wondering if God was punishing you? In your life, have you ever wondered if God was trying to get your attention with something? So he gave you something hard? It's difficult to wrestle with these things. And to wonder what you've done and where God has gone. But I think in those moments, God would turn your eyes to the cross and He would say to you, that's where I've gone. I went all the way to the cross for you. And it's because of the cross that Paul knew that there was no hardship in our life that can separate us from the love of Christ. The hardships and the heartaches, they will come. And that's why Paul quotes Psalm 44. This is not just some little digression in the passage when he says, we face death all day long. We are considered sheep to be slaughtered. And Paul, in referencing this, probably has the whole psalm in mind, not just that verse. The very next line says, tell me if you've ever felt this before. Awake, Lord. Why do you sleep? Rouse yourself. Do not reject us forever. And in the last verse of that psalm, he says, Rise up and help us. Rescue us because of your unfailing love. 
And in Jesus, that is exactly what God did. And it's why Paul says, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. It is a soaring line of Scripture, Romans 8.37. Paul says we are hooper nikao. Nikao is where the company Nike gets its name. It means victorious or conquer. And hooper means over or beyond. So we are more than conquerors. We're more than victorious. And why? Is it because of us? Is it because we're so capable? Like Nike says, just do it. No, it's because God loves us. That's the truth of the matter. It's not our ability. It's because of His love. And then comes this magnificent conclusion that spans every aspect of human life, all of time and space, anything that could ever happen to you. And Paul lays it out there and he invites you to make these words your own. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. My brothers and sisters, what is it in your life that would make you think it can separate you from God's love. Like that cargo ship in the Suez Canal. What would try and convince you that it can cut you off from God's love? Is it anxiety? Depression? Isolation? Debt? Divorce? Or drinking? Is it losing a friend, losing a job, or a house? What has it been in your life? Is it spiritual attack, or slander, or a struggle in school? Is it the death of a spouse, the loss of a child, the loss of health? Is a diagnosis the end of God's love for you? Does an accident mean that God must have stepped away? Is an uncertain future that you are facing today the uncertainty of God's love? The good news of Easter is that God's love is absolutely forever. You could lose everything on this earth, but you cannot lose His love. The only question on Easter is not about his love. It's if you've received it. If you have received it, not some loose affiliation with faith, not some vague sense of believing, not going through the motions of baptism or confirmation, but looking at the cross, knowing the one who died for you there, and declaring the truth that the tomb is empty. Beloved is the message of Easter. It is the best news on the face of the earth for you and me. So go and run with it.
Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, you have indeed risen. And we celebrate and worship you this Easter morning. Lord, thank you for going all the way to the cross for us, to forgive us and set us free. Thank you, Lord, that you loved us that much and that you rose again to give us new life. Lord, we claim the promises of your word this morning. You have said that nothing can separate us from your love. And I pray for each one of us in this space this morning that we would know that truth with all of our hearts. No matter what comes our way. Lord, we thank you today and every day for the good news of Easter. May we proclaim it boldly in our hearts and throughout the world. We pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Y Church Podcast. For more information about the Y Church, check us out online at thewychurch.org.